Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Tourism Marketing Mastery. I'm your host, Eric Hatterscheidt, and today's episode is special. And I know I say that with a lot of episodes, but today's episode is special because it's part of a three-part series that I did with Mitch Bach from Trip School. So for the next three episodes, we're going to be running through a ton of marketing and tourism-related gold. And what I mean by that is In this first episode, I'm going to sit down with Mitch and we're going to explore a little bit around uh, Mitch's history and how we started Trip School and then some of the things that he's seen that have worked really well for the tourism businesses that he's helped support and grow and and either get off the ground or expand exponentially with Trip School. And we kind of discussed in that episode the fun idea of putting together an episode just on failures because so many episodes out there discuss, you know, here's what you need to do in order to succeed. I think it's really good to have the context or the understanding of what doesn't work. And so we ended up deciding to do that. And that became the second two parts of this series. So the first part is going to be uh, what... Mitch has seen for what what leads to success as a tourism operator. And then the two following episodes are going to be what we've collectively seen have been failures of tourism operators, what hasn't worked. And there's some really interesting stories in there. What I'm going to let you guys know as well is at the end of the third episode, we have a pretty massive giveaway for you. It's by far the largest giveaway that I've ever done on this podcast. It's actually the largest giveaway uh, that I'm aware of that Mitch and Trip School has ever done. And every person that listens to the end of that episode, episode three in this Trip School series will receive that giveaway. Um, You just have to listen to the end to, to get it. So pay attention for the next three episodes as we walk through so much of what we've learned over decades of of working with tourism operators, that this is working with hundreds of different tourism operators, finding what's worked, what hasn't, as we distill this down in the next three episodes. So with that being said, let's get into it. Hey, my name is Eric Hatterscheidt, and I'm part of a group of independent tourism operators that you've probably never heard of. We deliver experiences that are beyond a photo shoot. When they're not, we're actually have to change our guests' lives. But because we don't have unlimited budgets like the big brands, we have to think differently. We have to be clever with our marketing. We need to reach our audiences to make the impact, but we also need to be profitable right from the start. Unfortunately, traditional education is about 20 years behind and they aren't teaching us what we need to know. So we've decided to take matters into our own hands. We're sharing marketing tactics that work today because we are experienced masters and what we do matters. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Tourism Marketing Mastery. I'm your host, Eric Hatterscheidt. And in today's episode, super excited to be having a conversation with Mitch Bach. <laughs> Mitch Bach, um, just a little bit of background info on him. He runs a platform called Trip School. They actually have education for, uh, for tour operators, both, I, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mitch, but both aspiring tour operators as well as established tour operators with how to build and grow their operation um, without trying to figure out everything themselves, which is a very, very valuable thing um, is to draw from other people's experiences. So I'm going to be asking Mitch a number of questions today, uh, not just around trip school, but a lot of his insight with the, all of the, the tour operators that he's worked with um, 
what's kind of a smart way to, to think about operating? And, and it's not just theory with him, it's actually having practiced this with quite a few tour operators and seeing what works and what doesn't. So we're gonna have just a, an open discussion. Um, there's no script here. We're just gonna explore what that looks like and hopefully talk about things that, that Mitch is excited to talk about. So I'm super glad to have you on the show today. Uh, honored to have you here, Mitch. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for that very dramatic pronunciation of my last name. You <laughs> nailed it. As I was so in my head about it because I was like, oh, bah. <laughs> I was like, no, that's, uh, yeah. I, I know. I could, I, could tell, I could tell it was an active reflection. I lived in France for ten, or eight years, and I was known as Mich Bash over uh -huh. there. So I like a good Germanic Mitch Bach, bach. Uh, pronunciation. Well, see, I have the opposite problem. I lived in Germany for a year and so in my mind very much goes to the the german pronunciation of that and so that's where i got stuck yeah, i was like yeah. that's not, not the hard german for most people it's just Bach. i've way over complicated it anyway <laughs> uh, well the problem is when my last name is then spelt like people say batch and then uh, they add a t and suddenly i'm ungoogleable so i feel like <laughs> i need a i need an alter ego with a t in it where i do other things you know what, man, that maybe that's, you got to have a whole new site now, just a whole site, but just with the, the T in there, so people can find you. Yeah. I better go out and buy that domain name now yeah. before one of your listeners yeah. does. Yeah. Who knows? Might be a huge segment of the market. Um, <laughs> anyway, Mitch, I, I would love to learn a little bit more about, you know, before we even get into trip school side of things, and I'm sure that I and, and listeners are fascinated with that. Um, I would love to learn just a little bit um, about your background and, and what led you to the position you're in now, which is, is leading, teaching entrepreneurs in tourism, how to run their businesses. Where did that, that seed, that kernel of a thought uh, originate from? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have been a lifelong kind of tour and tourism industry professional since my first days as a university student. Back, I was a student in Paris. I was a very weird child who didn't fit into his upbringing in Wisconsin in the middle of the United States. And so I ended up flying the coop very quickly over to New Zealand when I was 17 years old. And I ended up just going on a weird journey around the world that ended up in Paris where I was told very quickly by my parents that the adventure is over. It's time to get a college degree. And I ended up there. But for me, the adventure in the tourism industry started out in the summers when I became a local tour guide, a over-the-road tour director, and then very quickly a small business owner when I started my own tour company over there at the ripe old age of, I don't know, I was 20 or 21 years yeah. old. And so for me, I started trip school in the way that entrepreneurs start programs that they wish they had when they started in the industry. And 20 years ago is a very different time than it is now, but I really wish that I had had a program that I had that I could go to that just gave me step-by-step -step information on how to sort of grow it, not even grow, but start a tour business and, mm -hmm. and get things off running right. Because as we all know, once the business starts running, you don't have the time to fix things. You're just trying to, you know, make it work. And it ends up creating a lot of cobbled together weird solutions. And so at Trip School, we thought, what if we help people start things right by, you know, holding their hand? It's like the training wheel model where at a certain point, the wheels come off and you're running your own business, but let's create kind of an incubator program and then an accelerator program until you're off and flying on your own. And that's 
really what we did, but it started with me learning the hard way by being really bad for way too long at what I was doing and just trying to make it through the tours that I was leading in the, the company that I was building. That's fascinating. I, I, well, I, I believe that you and I are both in the kind of the game for the same reasons. Part of the reason, or actually really the only reason I started this podcast was same reason I wanted I wanted to give information out that I never had when I was in my early 20s running a, a resort in that case but I remember when I was young I was desperate to find information uh, what what's some of the information that you kind of found along the way that worked for you because obviously you're teaching things now there must have been a few things that you did find that worked where did you find those pieces of information <laughs> You know, it's the it's the boots on the ground kind of learning. So, you know, my background was that I thought while I was a student, I was in France and I was studying philosophy. I was studying music composition and I thought I was going to teach philosophy for part of the year. And then the rest of the year, I was going to be a classical music composer. Now, listen, that sounds absurd now that you and I are both in North America, but over in Paris, that was an actual career path. That, was that sounds, that sounds great to me. I'm not going to judge you for that. Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I judge myself by that now because I live in New York City and those are absurd ideas for how you spend your life. But the point is that I had a passion for creation, for creativity, for teaching. And really the tour company was a way that I was supporting myself in the summers and my downtime around that. The problem is that I also had that travel bug and I realized that I really became addicted to delivering a good time to my guests. The problem is because I didn't have any training in that world and entrepreneurship, I was just making things up. But because I like that anyway, I think I learned so many lessons outside of the norms of what people think they should be doing as a business owner. Uh, and that's really my passion is to kind of destroy the norms in this industry around what you're doing as a tour business, as an experience provider, as a creator, because this is such a young industry in the shape that it's in right now, mm -hmm. that there aren't these orthodoxies that you, that you have to live by. Really, these rules about which rest tech to use or which ad campaign to run on which platform or what your tour should look like are sometimes minutes old. And, and those orthodoxies are created just because they've been shared and shared. But there are so many new paths to chart. And I guess my mission at, at Trip School isn't to provide kind of the guru approach, like follow this, take this, and suddenly you're going to make a zillion dollars doing this. But rather to be there as part therapist, part kind of coach, part creative inspiration to think new thoughts about this industry, because I really do think that there are so many new ways this industry can evolve, can mature. And I guess for me, the lesson I wish I had learned earlier was to not isolate myself, to do it with others, to create a community around me of other people thinking these thoughts so we can bounce those ideas off of each other, learn from each other, and also grow through that kind of iterative process, that process of trying things and learning from it, rather than following the dogma and saying, oh, it must be me because that's the dogma. That's how you're supposed to do it. 2020 is such a different year, such a different part of the industry because now we have these tools. We have your podcast and it's amazing. Back then I was this lonely little boy in Paris just trying to create my own thing and listening to a bunch of French people tell me you're an idiot for doing what you're doing. And I guess I remember how that felt 
And so what we do at Trip School is just create a real social learning environment that allows us all to gather this cumulative wisdom and then try things together and inspire each other. And that's that's what's so great about the kind of industry that we're in today. We have podcasts and forums and communities that allow us to connect like we never did before and try things, try things out and, and grow with each other's support. That's, that's what's so cool about what we're doing and what this industry is. And that's one thing that I absolutely commend you for is the fact that I've heard from numerous sources, just the, the, the community that you bring to the table. And I know there's other organizations within tourism that do that, but you definitely are a key player in, in helping grow the community, not just in trip school, but outside of that as well. And that's, that's really an incredible um, contribution to this market. One thing I'm going to go back to that you just kind of discussed was going through that school of the school of hard knocks or school of boots on the ground, as you put it, you develop a lot of things because you just think that's a good idea. And there is no preconceived, um, notion or there's no this is the way things are done or need to be done and so that obviously helps develop innovation is there anything that uh that you can think of and i'm putting you on the spot here a little bit but is there anything you can think of going back that you developed that was like oh that really worked out well for us and in hindsight i don't know that anyone else was doing that thing you know there's and let me be clear i'm not advocating to just never get trained, never learn in community, and just not. try things on your own. <laughs> yeah. Because man was it a man was it a rough road in so yeah. many ways. But you need a you need to balance that innovation with also a type of community that allows you to feel structured and motivated along the way. And mm-hmm. having having a, a guide, you know, whether it's your podcast or a business coach or a learning community having a guide in which you can sort of have that dialogue and that back and forth, but also make sure you're doing your things. The number one thing, and I know this isn't answering your question, but we'll get there in a minute. The number one thing that I encounter as, you know, as a teacher, which, and by teacher, I mean, business coach, mentor, just idea, bouncer, offer, all of those hats that you wear as kind of a tourism professional, uh, and, and as, a, as an instructor, the number one thing is motivation is that you're alone. I mean, I was just on, on a phone call. I, I spend my day talking to dozens of operators and, yeah. and people are in isolated little caves in Switzerland or Italy or Greece or Russia trying to figure these things out. And these things have been discussed and figured out before by others. And so what I love about what's happening right now is these communities that have popped up to address the needs. I think of Global Tourist Connect the food tour operator community where they're having dialogues roundtables every week around the issues specific to food tour operators. And I think that's such a great thing because ultimately it's just giving away your knowledge, but we're in such a diversified industry that you can do that and still maintain your market share wherever you are. It's okay that uh, operator talks to somebody in Raleigh when you're in Austin or, or, or Moscow and learning from each other. But, you know, when I, when I started my tour company and I started it in Paris and I mean, this was 2002. So all lessons are out of the, are out of, uh, are, are, are no longer relevant. But what I learned was that there was a real orthodoxy around what an experience or what a tour looks like back then experience was a brand new word. I had read, I had just read a book called uh, the experience economy, which mm-hmm. is kind of an orthodoxy now for this experience revolution in the industry, in the global industry. 
where they looked at cases like Starbucks that suddenly were adding a sense of drama in theater and involving the senses and creating this whole experience around a bad cup of coffee that meant you could sell it for $3 instead of 25 cents. Well, that was a very new thing back in 2001, 2002, when I was starting my company and starting to guide. And back then, I was told by every French person and I'm not ragging on the French, but I was an American in Paris, which meant I was I was an outsider. I was yeah. an other. And so every conversation I had was somebody telling me how I should be doing things, what the normal <laughs> way was. Yeah. And the normal way of a tour back then was making sure that you name as many old white male kings as possible in your commentary about the Louvre, about the Arc de Triomphe, about the Champs-Élysées, about the Invalide, all of these places that are really interesting, but it seemed at least to my eyes at the time, that nobody was really talking about why is there what was called a gypsy or a romanche person outside every single metro stop? Why are there weird little brown poles every three feet on the sidewalks? Why does every French facade look a certain way? These kind of questions that really go to the visceral experience of a human being interacting with a place mm -hmm. and guiding at that point or a tour design at that point was like, make sure you name as many dates and as many kings to give them the full breadth of our country. But that didn't give me what now we call in place studies, a sense of place. Mm. It didn't make me feel much. It didn't make me really understand what it meant to be French in this place or to, to worship a king, to really see a king as the kind of the guiding presence of an incredibly dispersed country. And so I guess as an outsider, I had the privilege of not knowing too much for my own good. And so I could really start from that childlike sense of wonder and design tours around what I myself was wondering. And that was a very different kind of tour than if you come to it as an insider, full mm -hmm. of too much knowledge for your own good. And I think that's actually still maybe the most relevant piece of advice that I have to people designing their own tours today, whether you're a company or a guide, because there is this weird idea of you should be starting with your dates and you should be only pointing out the most important buildings and this kind of idea of the people's history, of the history of the streets, of all of these ways in which that coalesces into an experience much more than just imputing knowledge, I think is the most important lesson we can be learning right now as kind of designers of, of tours. And, and that's intuitive for some people and it's a revelation for others. One thing that I'm gonna pull out of that, I think is a really key point was the fact that you said, there's, this, there's a certain way that people do this and I'm just gonna do it my way, the way that I, I think I'd like to have it done for myself. That like creating that new way, obviously super powerful from a marketing perspective. What would you say to the tour operator though that already lives in the city and has been a native of that city for years? How do they get that new perspective? How do they, how do they say, oh, I wonder what this would look like from an outsider's um, eyes? You know, I think we know it. I don't think it's actually hard to step outside of it. It's just you have to take off your hat as a tour operator or as the tour guide. And one of the things that I see a lot in new tour business starters is they kind of look at the competition and they create a tour similar to the competition. Maybe they undercut them on price or they have a snazzier name or a better website or they've run a better ad strategy, but the core product is essentially 
an imitation of what they see others doing. And, you know, that's just not innovation. For innovation, you need to connect two sort of dispersed or different ideas outside of what you normally think of in terms of what a tour looks like. And, 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 and so my, my advice is always stop talking to only other tours and professionals or other tour guides or whatever, and talk to somebody totally different. I mean, part of why my company was a success when I started out was I, I was a philosopher <laughs> and a composer. I wasn't a tourism professional. I didn't know what a tour looked like. And so I thought musically about the tour, the way I composed it. And also as a philosopher, I have the annoying habit of thinking some things are deeper than they may even be. But a travel experience can be incredibly profound and transformative for you, for your tour guests. And uh, I think sometimes we sell ourselves a little short and we think of it kind of as either just simple knowledge imputation or as infotainment. If I make them laugh and they feel like they had a good time while well, they're on vacation anyway, great, I've done my job. And so I'm often challenging people to go a little deeper than they think they should be going and also to snap out of that information delivery mode that a lot of people, especially tour guides, find themselves in because they see others doing it. So stop modeling and start, start looking at things that you enjoy, you know, when I teach storytelling, we, we teach storytelling workshops every month. And um, I, I tell them, I give them a whole sheet of facts and I say, circle what's interesting to you. Yeah. And then share that. Don't look at that date. And if that date bores you to death, then leave it alone. You can always follow up with that person that nags you about what date was that. Or you can contextualize it in an interesting way, but start with what peaks your interest, because then you're probably going to deliver it with interest and with passion. But if you, th it's this like whole moral moral imperative of what I think I should be doing as a as a tour operator. And I see this with I see this with people within the marketing realm where, and this is partially the 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 problem with kind of the online world that we live in is it creates an observer bias. The people that are already online involved in marketing forums online are people that are obsessed with online marketing. And so they end up talking ad nauseum about their Facebook ad strategy, their remarketing strategy, their Google ad strategy, Pinterest, TikTok, blah, 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 blah. And it ends up making a lot of business owners feel like that's what I should be focusing on. Mm -hmm. I must, I must crack this nut when actually there's a way to solve a lot of those problems at a, at a more basic level of tour design that makes some of the other stuff automatic. I will say this, we are a pretty, I'd call us a pretty successful training company. Uh, we have never run a single paid ad in our history on any platform. We've never, we've never had to try to buy attention. We've generated it through raving fans, through word of mouth, through putting a ton of free and good stuff out there and hoping that it snags people through our authenticity. And I, I don't mean that to say that online marketing is a sham. Obviously it's not. And in, in fact, we need to start, I need to start doing it myself. But I will say this, there's a way to create a, a baseline of success through authenticity and through a stellar product and through creativity and through community that then you can build on with a pay, you know, with paid marketing schemes. And, and I think it's that, it's that base step that often gets mixed and you end up spending a lot of your time making sure you're, you're finding the right lookalike audience to sell a tour that looks alike every other tour out there. 
No, I, I think you nailed that. I mean, there's a lot, there was a lot in that response um, as far as your own experience in like implementing you, Mitch, into the tour and saying, you know, this is, this is parts of me that I am going to inject into the tour, whether it's from the philosophical standpoint or musical standpoint. Um, and then also the other portion of that response that really stood out to me was the, I'm going to say the order in which you, you design your tours or design your tour company, I should, should say, like, do you go out and market first, then bring people and then build it? Or do you build it and market it? I want to go a little bit deeper into the first part of that response, which was, these are parts of me that I injected into the tour, um, this philosophical and musical. You said you, you took the study of music and you applied that to tour design. Tell us a little bit more about that. That's really fascinating. Um, in my case, it's music. I mean, it was, let's be clear, it's classical music. Yeah. I was also becoming a classical music composer. Just, just a great backup degree if philosophy falls through. But, uh, you know, it gave me a sensitivity to, I guess, what one composer uh, called the, the architecture of space. If I'm a composer, I've got this kind of musical score ahead of me and it's gonna be a 30 minute symphony or it's gonna be a 10 minute string quartet or a three hour walking tour. And I have to decide how I'm gonna make my listener feel through that space. I'm gonna decide when they're gonna feel anxiety, when they're gonna feel relief, when they're gonna feel joy, when they're gonna feel boredom. And that's all designed by me. It's all a curated experience. and. And, and yet I'm thinking about it on that musical whole, even, I have, even if I have the most beautiful series of chords in a tour, if, even if I have the even if the fabulous stop, if it's not choreographed or composed in a way that makes us feel growth and evolution and journey and anticipation and surprise and delight, uh, then, then what is the end result? The end result is we saw a bunch of stops on a tour and there were nice stops and the tour guide was good, the end. The composition of space on a tour, just like the composition of space on kind of a musical score, is very different. I'm understanding there is a moment of this tour that is the big reveal. And think of a symphony, you got to have a crescendo, you got to have anticipation building up to it. You got to have a moment of arrival that isn't just, bam, here's a huge chord. Same way in a tour, I do a lot of secret shopping in my job where I go in and just watch a guide and kind of do their thing and watch a company the way they've done their tour. Hey, you know, when you go, all right, hey, here's the Eiffel Tower all of a sudden. If I'm revealing the Eiffel Tower, I am positioning my group and it's the first time they're going to see it. And, you know, maybe they've already seen it, but part of my tour choreography is the revelation of the size of the statue. Then I'm going to think about not talking about it in front of the statue or in front of the in front of the, the the tower, I'm going to find a street corner right around the corner from the tower where you can't see it at all. I'm going to talk about the height of the buildings and say these six floors for a thousand years of Paris's history were the tallest thing that you could see. Then and it was astounding to think that something this this many floors tall didn't fall down. Uh, after construction. And I might say, let me tell you, when the Eiffel Tower was built, 
it blew people away, not by its beautiful color. It was a bright orange that was disgusting. Uh, it was the sense of grandeur and importance and height that one radio tower could invoke emotionally in people. And I might then quote Gustav Eiffel. I'm riffing on this, by the way, I'm making yeah, this up. Yeah. Uh, but you get the idea. I might quote Eiffel and I might quote Eiffel when he says, I wanted something that would take people's breath away or whatever. And maybe yeah. I say it in French for more effect. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then I say, follow me. We round the corner without me saying a word. Suddenly we're next to this Haussmannian facade of six floors and we suddenly see the tower rise up from beneath it, from behind it. And it gives us this total poetic silence, but a moment I've sculpted to reveal its grandeur in a way that invokes that or evokes that emotionally within my audience. So I'm not just walking around the corner saying, all right, the Eiffel Tower in blah, blah, blah year, it was built and Gustav Eiffel, I've created an architecture of my space, of my tour, or of the time of my tour to make this revelation mean something and impart it emotionally in my audience. And then at the end of that tour, the guest is saying the revelation of the Eiffel Tower was the most amazing moment of that tour. And it wasn't because they hadn't seen it before or they didn't know about it. It was the way in which I mm -hmm. created this sense of drama around it. And it's that that I think I, as an idiot, doing it without any rules, had an intuitive sense of because as a composer, I just composed everything. I composed my love letters. I composed my days for senses of drama. I was a, as a 20 year old and as a 20 year old, you feel drama everywhere. Yeah. But I did impart that into my tour design. And it's that craft that I think has become more important as the knowledge economy has become so so ubiquitous that everybody has an international data plan that opens up Wikipedia and Yelp and every other uh, app that tells you all the information. So what are we doing as operators or as experience designers and as guides to really inject something special into that experience? And that's that to me is the core of what we should be thinking of as we design our tours. And there isn't much of a rule book written on that right now. It's great. Mitch, I, like that is so powerful. I. I because I, I don't know that I've talked and maybe this maybe this is in the in the tour in tour industry maybe it's more of a conversation um but definitely in in the resort industry architecting emotions to that crescendo is not something that I've heard talked about and I've just started to touch on it this year with with pre-architecting that um so fascinating to me with how you you made that connection between classical composition and then bringing that to the emotional experience of the tour. Selfish question I'm going to ask is you, you stated that you read the book, The Experience Economy, back when you were building your company. Um, that book had a significant impact on the way that I thought about experiences. One thing for those of you that haven't read the book, one thing the experience economy talks about is there's actually an evolution that led to experience being what humans were looking for in, in the economy. And there's, there's a, there's an evolution, the next evolutionary step from experience is actually transformation. And what I've been contemplating about with our experiences at the resort and, and with the motorcycle um, trips that we're doing is, can you architect transformation? Can you, 
can you take that because we've we've looked at like that that ebb and flow that crescendo and architecting the emotions along the way and saying yes i want them to experience anxiety here or i want them to experience excitement here and i want them to experience wonder here and we've really kind of started thinking about that but what i've been struggling with is can you architect transformation have you have you taken that step in either your own understanding of, of architecting tours or looked at it with other tour operators in what that might look like. So beyond the experience moving into, into how do you impact someone's life to think about their own lives differently? Well, and you know, this is such a funny question for a couple of reasons. First of all, I kind of feel like the travel industry is mirroring my university majors or my degrees because I'm going from music composition now into philosophy mm. as sort of as sort of we all think about transformative travel and also responsible travel I mean all of these ibbles and all of these labels that we're putting on to things now that are a little bit different than the experience economy to me it is indicating a, a sort of a maturity or a maturation of the of the industry as we understand now that a tour can't just be a collection of isolated stops. It has to be a novel that unfolds. And so I use music composition, but I mean, storytelling across a tour design is also writing a novel or cinematography. These are skills and these are techniques that have been known forever. Surprise and delight is a tried and true marketing technique that has been around forever. And it's at least been around since the Cracker Jack box <laughs> delivered a little prize yeah. at the bottom of the box. Uh, it's, that's the idea. Is, is there a little prize that people didn't expect and see? And so, you know, what is the experience economy, but essentially understanding that you're, you know, that your tour is a stage and that you're creating a drama on that stage. But, you know, transformative travel is interesting because I, I, I think that when it comes to, to choreographing that, it's it's a little different because are you manipulating emotions? What are you what are you exactly trying to create? An experience is a little bit different because I know that I'm trying to give them a sense of drama and emotion around around the way in which we move through space. But transformational travel is 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 it's not going horizontal, but it's going vertical and it's going deeper into individuals. And I think it's understanding what uh what we are doing in concert with where we're doing it and who we're doing it with. And I know this is a podcast, but behind you right now, uh, you are framed by a triangle because uh, I'm looking at you on Zoom. Yeah. And, and I, think of, I think of what we do as operators and as guides, as tourism professionals in this kind of sector, in terms of a triangle and one end of the triangle is the place where we are, another end of the triangle, they're equilateral. Another end of the triangle is the guide or the person providing the experience. And then the other end of it is the guests, is the audience. And I think an experience is working when all three of those edges of the triangle are focused around, and I use the words connection and story kind of interchangeably. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, for me, connection is the key word to everything that we're doing. I want at the end of the tour that I've led, whether it's three hours or 30 days, uh, or whether it's a hotel stay, I want the end of it to feel like what's happened is something more than me just delivering a service. And that was kind of the experience piece was beyond a service, my guest feels connected to what I've just given to them, connected to me. And 
how does that connection happen? Well, it doesn't just happen from being hilarious. It doesn't just happen because you did your job and you delivered all the knowledge. Partially it happens through, I call it story because it involves people understanding the place you're at differently, but also understanding you differently. And so mm-hmm. I, I always share a piece of me with my tour guests that unlocks the place not because I'm so interesting, but because my story can integrate with the story that they're experiencing in the place that they're at. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm a, I'm a gay, I'm a gay white man, but I do Washington DC tours. And there's, there was a moment where, you know, the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial stood out and I can't talk as a, as a person of color about the civil rights movement, but I can talk about the experience that I had being bullied uh, when I was a 14 year old uh, because, you know, people knew what I wasn't yet ready to admit about myself, but I knew I was different and I didn't have a single friend for a couple of years of my life there. I had three people that I remember reaching out to me and sitting down at the lunch table with me during that time and I can still I can still remember their names and you know for me when I look at a place like a memorial like that I try to implicate myself I try to share a story that begins I'm not going to tell you my whole bullying story my whole spiel that I give there but what I do is I try to open up something vulnerable in me to a certain point that opens something vulnerable in my guests that then connects us both to that other edge of the triangle, which is where we're at. And, you know, if it's a memorial of somebody, I'm looking for the theme or the the kind of the universal emotion that we all have as human beings behind it. And for me, transformational travel requires an opening within us to be willing to share a little bit of ourselves that in turn unlocks something in other people that in turn transforms the space where this experience is happening. And, and, and I think we need to be willing to open ourselves to what that means. And it's a very different way of being a ser- than being a service provider because it means we feel implicated. And it's, it means we need to think as tour operators about training our guides differently to allow them to be human beings that aren't memorizing a script and delivering it perfectly, but understanding that part of the transformational tour economy is allowing humans to be humans together in a place that humans want to be human. And <laughs> it's weird because it seems very obvious, but as a business model, it means we need to think about marketing different. I mean, I go back to the way you, inter- you, in- you, you interact on social media, the way you interact on Facebook or on Instagram. What if you, in your business account, interact as a human being rather than as this professional business that just sells and talks about the qualities of your tours all the time? What if you're an actual human presence that is, uh, uh, that is doing something that is connecting me on that human level rather than on a seller and buyer level? And I know that's something that you're uh, passionate about and teach and, and, and share as well as a, as a successful marketing principle. Yeah, it is. Uh, and obviously I'm not going to go into it, but anybody that wants to go back and listen to a number of the previous podcasts, we absolutely talk about the importance of people want to connect with a person and that generally is one person. And so if I'm hearing this right from you, Mitch, it sounds like in order to have that transformational experience, you really need to share the story of 
ultimately one other person that they can resonate more deeply with than the story of here's what happened to this this whole population or here's the dates that these things happen like there's there's grander facts there but at the end of the day and maybe this is why humans are so so fascinated with stories because well that's great but how does that apply to how i live my individual life as eric or as mitch um, I need to draw a lesson from some how one one other individual lived their life and the lesson that they learned there. And I'm guessing that's I mean, you saying you know integrating story into it. That's why the movie industry, which is a, obviously a multi-billion-dollar industry, I think they've done a decent job at figuring out like how do we how do we get someone to think about things differently. Um, and so I just want to make sure I get this correctly from you. You're saying in order to really hit that transformational experience, you need to tell a story. And in, in, in an ideal scenario is where you're telling the story from an individual perspective, whether it's yours or maybe an individual that you can reference. But am I getting that right? Yeah, you know, story is a funny word because first of all, it's it's become very ubiquitous mm. and, and, and that annoys me because <laughs> I feel like I was using it before everything became yeah. storytelling. But also it has this kind of fairy tale sort of uh, vibe to it where, oh, I tell facts. I tell real history. I don't just tell stories. Mm. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm just talking about the way in which you communicate to make sure that another human brain is receiving you in as rich a possible a possible way or as rich a way as possible and for me story story affects the brain differently uh, it, it does you can read the storytelling animal by jonathan Gottschall. there's so many good books out there on the way that neuroscience has revealed to us that oh when i'm hearing a sense of drama that unfolds with anticipation and revelation and it's focused on an individual some or a scene that i can imagine then it's actually releasing in me oxytocin and dopamine and all of these types of hormones that drugs do really well and movies do really well. It's why, it's why Apple has a keynote that reveals a product that you can't get for two weeks because then two weeks later, damn, does it feel good to get it versus, oh, I immediately go out and satisfy my need. It's just, it's built into who we are as people, as creatures of desire. And so these storytelling principles have been worked into the dogmas of marketing, of, 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 of cinema, of storytelling since time immemorial, since these forms were invented. And these are vehicles that we can use to connect with our customers, with our audience, which is primarily there on a tour, but also even before and after a tour, but you know, it's, 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 I think of it like this. Am I, am I going to say, am I going to say that the Irish came to New York city in droves or millions of them, or am I going to say the first person off the boat when Ellis Island opened was a 16 year old girl uh, uh, from Ireland. Who do I care about suddenly? Do I care about, do I care about uh, Annie, who named Annie Moore? Do I care about young Annie? 16 years old, can I imagine a 16 year old girl stepping off the boat for the first time? Uh, or am I thinking about a million of mm. I, a million Irish people, right? Both are true. And I might then say she was only one of a million Annie's and Annie's mothers and Annie's daughter, uh, Annie's brothers and fathers and families who knew when they stepped off that boat that they were never gonna see 
their homeland again. What they had in them starting their new life was what they carried with them in a small little suitcase. What would you carry in your suitcase? In that story, I'm thinking about the nostalgia of my roots, of the land of Wisconsin that I forsaked. I'm thinking about, I feel implicated. So it's implicating the individual in the story that you're telling about the company that you run. And it's marketing, it's good business practice, but it's also a way to open up in that person. Uh, it, it's, it's, opening, it's opening like a fissure, like a little rift in that person that then you can play with, you can work with, you can go deeper with it. And I'll give the example of uh, leading a Greenwich Village tour of New York City a few years ago. And uh, it happened to be during the Gay Pride Parade of New York City, uh, or not the actual parade, but it was Gay Pride Week. Mm. And um, this was a group of Texans. I don't have any stereotypes about Texans, except to say <laughs> that this particular group of Texans were not used to Greenwich Village during Gay Pride Week in New York yeah. City, all right? And I was sure leading a walking... <laughs> We can all imagine, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and they were mocking. They were mocking everybody. And mm. of course, I mean, it was it was extremely flamboyantly dressed individuals of all different stripes and shapes and sizes and colors and and shades of sequin. Um, and they were la they were audibly laughing at it. And, uh, and then they were kind of mocking it. The you know they're saying they're 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 saying you're not you're never going to see that in texas and another person i remember saying if i saw that in texas they i don't know what they i don't know what would happen mm. and on that tour you know what are my options a laugh along with them they're my customer the customer is always right just keep mm. the peace but b i called them out on it i said i said you know i understand that attitude because i grew up with that attitude and as a gay man i understood the feeling of needing to play the right game to make sure that not only was I not laughed at, but that I didn't feel unsafe. And mm -hmm. it was for that reason that hundreds of thousands of gay men and women left their homes in Texas and in Oregon and in Wisconsin and wherever around the country, around the world, and flocked to this five square block radius of of life and for them it was life it was the marrow it was everything that they felt suddenly that they could breathe in a way that felt authentically themselves and they could dance on the streets wearing the most insane costumes and they tried to out insane each other and they could go into bars and just look at each other without the fear that suddenly they were going to get thrown out or shot or whatever and this was a refuge this was for them and for so many, for so many decades, the place they called home. And this is home. This, uh, this is theirs. You're not, you're, not, you're not in a place anymore where you can sit here and laugh safely. Mm -hmm. The unsafe activity is to not see this as the home for people who spent so many decades of their life feeling, feeling uncertain about who they could be. And and I said that, I just said that. Um, it's a really bad idea because this guy's about to rate me on TripAdvisor like 30 minutes later. But 
I'm taking the risk because transformational travel means everything needs to, everybody needs to change. Everybody needs to go deeper. Yeah. You need to not be afraid to go deeper with the place. You need to not be afraid to go deeper with your guests. And you need to not be afraid to be vulnerable and to be honest with who you are in this space. And in the middle of that triangle was a sensitive connection that was much more than I could ever deliver if I was sticking to my script or if I wasn't judging what I should do or even authorizing myself to do that. And so I guess for me, it's just another step on the evolutionary scale of this word authenticity, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, just an annoying gimmick of a word most of the time. But for me, that's what authenticity means. It means we're all being ourselves and being humans together and making a business work off of that. And I got letters. I still know these people today. I still know a couple of these individuals today. We're friends on Facebook. They still comment on me. They seem to send me a note every June in Gay Pride Month because I think <laughs> they still feel guilty. But I wasn't afraid to go someplace deeper and more important. Um, and I think of a, I think of a woman named Mina who runs Black Outdoor Adventures in New York City, and uh, she um, she runs you know an escapism company. Uh, New Yorkers who are pent up in their little apartments and want to go out and just be free, be outdoors, go on a hike. And she adds the element of it's, it's for people of color. I mean, it's the idea also that you feel free from the judgments of racial inequities in New York City or in the United States or wherever that you feel free to be who you are. But um, she talks a lot about the way in which what she's doing, even if it's a hiking company or an activity company, as transformative, because she also makes it very clear that her company is about giving a space where people can consciously shed themselves of the stereotypes and the labels that they have. And we all have those. We all have the labels, the stereotypes, the self-image stereotypes that we carry with ourselves that we need shedding of. And tourism is such a privileged space where we can do that a place where we can decenter ourselves enough outside of our comfort zone to really go somewhere powerful and i think there's no more interesting human experience than to be elsewhere than where we are filled with our normal habits and in that space to change and for the better and so i mean this is the philosophy major in me coming out just to say that this goes beyond yoga, it goes beyond these trite ways in which we think of, not that yoga is trite, but these trite ways in which we think of wellness travel or transformative travel or these, uh, these ideas that we have around, uh, around the, the evolution of experience. Again, Mitch, another just really powerful statement from you around what that transformative or transformative experience looks like and more importantly feels like because I could I could put myself almost into that scenario that you talked about in Texas and myself being a straight white male um it what I, I realized what's that you're forgiven I forgive <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's because you you know the world from your perspective you know the world from your own experience and let's say that I had gone on that tour and it was another I'm just going to say another straight white male that gave the same speech that you gave, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have the same transformative contemplation on my side as if you had said it. Cause it, you just telling me now it's saying this person's telling this story from their own experiences, emotionally, psych 
psychologically, physiologically in some cases. And that is such a powerful thing to be let in because that's not necessarily a conversation that you're always going to have. So that leads to another question, which is you could have been leading that tour, but if you led that tour with, let's say, a group of gay individuals as opposed to majority straight white Texans, it's not going to have the same, that, that story wouldn't have the same, well, you wouldn't even probably have to have to say that. So part of me wonders, if you're going to create experience, do you open up experience to groups that you never, that are not your tribe? Does that make sense? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to the way in which we think of design. Uh, design isn't sculpting because sculpting is really, all right, it's perfectly chiseled into exactly the shape that I want. I think of the best experienced designers as understanding how to, you know, because design is a massive concept across business owner for, uh, on the level of the emails that you send, the website that you portray all the way down to the way in which you train your guides or your experience providers to even deliver that experience. And part of it means that you can't have a model of an experience that is now we stop here, now we stop here, at this time you stop here, at this time you do this, and then you finish. I love the idea of empowering your tour guides to be able to deliver something from a perspective that they feel empowered to deliver authentically or honestly or uniquely. I also do think though that, you know, everybody has their own story that can be mined for ways of creating kind of an analogous, uh, an analogous, uh, interaction. By analogous, I mean, an analogy is all about using who you are and using yourself honestly. So you're not pretending that you're a gay man or that you can speak to that experience, of course. But has there ever been a time in which you felt ostracized or in which you felt judged or laughed at or whatever? And we all have that. Mm -hmm. And that's, for me, it's opening fissures. Uh, fissure is like, you know, like a rift. It's like the yeah. way in which, you know, you create a crack in something, but within that crack, something can grow. And you, I mean, that's how the hoodoos of the of the American West were created yeah. through little ice fissures. You know, it's it's kind of amazing. In other words, there's possibility for beautiful sculptures, but without that exact precise prescription of what your experience is. And, you know, if you're Disney, you've got things dotted down to the T uh, or, you know, the idea of like these massively scalable experiences that need to be replicated perfectly. But I have to say, I hope on some level that some of that dies. For example, the idea, I shouldn't name name brands, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, like I once heard somebody say that the beauty of Applebee's was that uh, the chicken tasted exactly the same wherever you had it across the United States. Mm -hmm. You knew what you were getting. Mm -hmm. And that style of the you know what you're getting kind of delivery of a product, I hope is dying out to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I hope that we're building in these moments of surprise and delight, but also training our providers, uh, whether it's a tour guide or whether it's a, you know an experienced host of any stripe, that you don't have a script, you don't have the thing you say, you have an awareness, a sensitivity to the group in front of you, to who they are, where they're from, their cultural baggage, whatever, and you deliver something that is appropriate to them. And that's why you're right. Every single tour I give or design, make sure that if I'm hiring guides, I make sure those guides are delivering something that is authentically them, that I'm giving them the permission to do something that is very them for a Broadway actor to talk about it from an actor standpoint, but also for a historian to talk about it with their passion. Cause that passion 
is what ultimately is the transmittable value proposition. That's what I, I mean, that's what I think. And that's what I think about transformative travel. It's like, you know, I, um, we have a project at Trip School called the Diversity Project that's run with, uh, run by a man named Leon Burnett, who is a, uh, a fabulous um, tour operator and guide and designer of civil rights tours down in, uh, down in um, Alabama, down in the American South. And I mean, he, he designs his tours so that for a certain portion of his tour, his guests feel angry and upset and uh, really emotional. Mm. Like he doesn't hold back. He doesn't comfort them. He doesn't whitewash literally or placate them. He's, he says that emotion that you're feeling, that discomfort, that anxiety is part of the message of this place. Mm. And um, that's something that he can do as a black man who has lived there all of his life. And he feels authorized to do that, obviously because of his history and his life and his life, his lived experience. But what can you do to grow a company in which you have the lived experiences of all these different people that can be built into the way in which you design their interactions with your tour guests, if that makes sense. And I like that kind of model as a creative model for the way people are thinking about anything that they're building instead of the replication model in which you make sure everything is delivered to the exact standard, the exact way uh, that it should be. And I'll say this, the hotels that I've enjoyed staying in most are the ones where the front desk agent has a real personality and delivers me a little bit about who they are in a, in a way that feels real and very different than uh, if I am clearly getting the standard Sophie Tell script or whatever, yeah. I'm making up that brand. But uh, that's that's a question about training, about cultural, uh, about 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 work culture, about your corporate culture. It's a question about understanding that design needs these moments of openness and humanity, and that that's a that's a marketing asset. It's a, it's a massive marketing asset, and I'm I'm not going to go deep into this, but that lesson was, was one, arguably one of the most important lessons I learned in tourism was that you can't, like a lot of other industries, it's, my, let me go back a second. My dad's an engineer, he came out of manufacturing. And so a lot of the ways he looks at the world is very, like there's a system here and a system can be replicated and it works well. And that worked to a certain point in our tourism business and our resort. But where I had a real breakthrough, a real revelation was with a, a luxury uh, tour manager of a high-end resort um, <clears throat> down in Tasmania. And he taught me something called the plus one method, which if you want to find it, you can go back in the podcast and we have a podcast on the plus one method, but it was the, the anti-system system. It was, how do you actually go away from the systematic robotic response and bring that authentic human response into it? And what's the, what's the, what's the way that you can do that where you allow the beauty of, of the person to come through, um, which was, yeah, fantastic. So I can really appreciate what you're saying. And I, I would say, absolutely. Like if you're highly systemized, you're losing a huge portion of the magic by being too robotic through, through that experience when it comes to people on people. Um, Mitch, we're, we're nearing our end of our time, which is unfortunate because I feel like we could go for <laughs> another few hours on this at least. Tell me a little bit more. I'm going to switch gears here. Tell me a little bit more about Trip School itself and what you guys do there. Um, maybe I'll just leave the question at that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because it's we do a lot, but 
part of our mission in doing a lot is trying to bring together some of these different threads. So we we started out as a tour guide and tour over the road multi-day tour director training company. And we really focused on the people that are on the front lines of deliver, delivering these experiences. And what we sort of grew into from that base was understanding that there needs to be a conversation that involves operators in this, both major or large operators and also the small mom and pop shops. And that was for a couple of reasons because operators either are guides themselves and they should be understanding the stuff that we're teaching. And also because operators uh, need to be connected to the experience and the, the tour design and the way it's delivered intimately, intimately. And I, you know, tour operators are, that's my world. I know you speak to a wide audience, but experience operators, tour operators, you they come to it from a very a wide variety of places. Some are engineers, some are really business people, some are former actors. And so you, everybody brings their baggage. And so what we wanted to do was essentially create a space that's part therapy, part engaging community, part a uh, place to leave your baggage behind and just get inspired with new thoughts, but also learn from each other. And so we, for example, we do courses on, you know, creating a, 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 an engaging video for yourself, for your business and for tour guides that might mean a presentation of who they are as an individual for a business that might mean what their business is, but it's essentially the same idea of understanding who you are and delivering it in a narrative that is engaging on an emotional level to people. We lead storytelling workshops where whether you're telling the story of your brand or whether you're telling a specific story on tour, uh, understanding that this is a craft that needs to be honed and understood and learned rather than either innate or not innate in you is important. Um, we work also with a lot of tour operators who understand that they need a staff of guides that are trained and kind of what we've, what you and I have just talked about is the very 2020 version of what tour guiding is and what experience design is and not the 2002 version. And that means that often they need, uh, they need training that, they need training that, uh, that gets their guides up to that level. And so we, we come in and we create customized training portals specific for that company where they can go through and they kind of learn socially together. And then finally, on the operator level, we we sit there, I mean, every single day we do coachings, one-on-one -on -one coachings and group coachings or accelerator programs in which I guess we're trying to help operators understand as business owners that there are a lot of solutions thinking about everything you and I just spent an hour talking about. This base level of creating these types of connections that create raving fans, that create a deeper connection from your guests to the place or to your hotel or to your motorcycle truck or to your, uh, to your city or to your region, whatever it is, that level of connection and story is about website design. It's about marketing strategies. It's about all of these things that people think of as isolated problems. And so we try to do this holistic approach of, and we call it reboot as kind of just a brand, but the tour business reboot for us is looking at this core message of who you are who you understand your customer to be, what the story is you're trying to share, classic marketing techniques, but baking that philosophy into your business, your tours, your Facebook ads, your website, and the ways in which you interact even on an email level with your customers and what it's like to begin your tour. I'll finish with this. I I was a secret shopper at a at a great or at a seminary at a cemetery tour for a for a company. 
that operates throughout the middle of the summer of a very hot city. And I arrived there. I didn't know who my guide was. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know where they were because my email, the email, didn't share that. And I looked around and I saw another person in a green T-shirt handing out little bottles of water. And I said, "This is storytelling. It's telling the story that you care about this customer enough yeah. to think about them in advance and begin on that good foot." So, storytelling for me is this wide umbrella that means I'm thinking from the point of view of the customer or the guest across the entire journey. And then also thinking creatively about that. Okay, they're handing out bottled water. What can we do that 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 shows that we care, but is our little touch on it? And and uh, and so it's you know, trip school. If I had to boil it down, is is social learning, but understanding the power of community and creativity baked into everything we do as guides and as experience providers. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a follow up question on that because I think you did a really good job of communicating, here's what we do. For a tour operator that's listening to this, what's, what, are, what is an indicator or maybe a couple of indicators um, that they should take the program? In other words, like every tour operator is gonna struggle with certain challenges, um, ourselves included, for sure. But what are, the, what are the challenges, what are the indicators that they might be seeing within their company where, where you know pretty confidently that you can you can help them um, create something that is is a much better version of what they've got yeah you know it's it's interesting uh there's there's the problems that i really want to focus on and there's the problems that operators want to focus on sure, always so, different <laughs> uh, <laughs> always different am i right or am i right um and so it's often for me a a, a kind of a both and and so Here's the number one problem that I see in the operators that I speak with. It's their website. It's the idea that they don't know their customer well enough. They don't seem to know themselves well enough uh, to be able to adequately share with them the journey that they've been on to become a tour operator, mm-hmm. the product as the product page as a storytelling page. Uh, and you know, all of these places are not as an opportunity to create an emotional connection. And frankly, I don't think necessarily a lot of marketing firms or website designers even do a fabulous job no. at this, at understanding that you're selling everywhere and that the best way to sell is to make that bond through the sharing of of your story. And so kind of our our unique angle is ultimately translated into a unique angle on website design and on and on storytelling on that front. And I think there's a lot of improvement we can do as an industry in that. Something so that's that's an operator identified problem sure. that I think we have a unique take on in a very different way than uh, uh, than other places. There's then the place where an operator doesn't even know that they have a problem, and that's usually on the back end. They usually end up focusing a lot on what reservation technology that I should use and what ad platform I should be spending my money on. And I think on that end, two things. They often don't understand that they are um, missing out on a lot of ways in which they can connect the customer journey to be able to sell to them in a wider way than just a single Facebook ad with the right copy or, uh, or you know, people love my Fair Harbor widget much more than my Peak widget, whatever. I What, what we end up doing is show... First of all, and you know this, we end up connecting a lot of the back end that they didn't know could be connected through Zapier and marketing mm-hmm. automation and understanding CRMs and just like getting that stuff in order uh, so that they can understand what 
websites their customers are visiting to understand what they're doing with their email list uh, in the off season and around the holidays beyond just sending out discount coupons and, 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 you know, creating that more holistic customer journey. But then all of that is a prelude to my final thing, which is what I want them to all be thinking about a lot is getting incredibly granular with their entire tour experience and also the customer journey before and after that. And I would say the indicator that you might need help is are your five-star reviews euphoric? Mm-hmm. What What is the level of euphoria in your five-star reviews? And uh, And I do this because I don't think that a five-star review means the same thing across five-star reviews. I think there's a way to basically psychologically engineer a five-star review and I've done it and I've proven it with customers, but I don't think that that means you've solved your problem. You may solve your TripAdvisor, your Viator problem there, but that's not solving ultimately a problem or actually a, a great growth model. And so, you know, is, is there a single is there a single moment that your guest is raving about over and over again? That to me, that's an indication that you've done a great choreography of your tour. Are they saying great things about are they saying, you know, good things about the guide? Great. But are they mentioning peak experiences? Are they mentioning uh are, are they going above and beyond in the way that they that they even write about the tour? How many all caps reviews do you get? Yeah. Uh, seriously, I mean, this is dumb stuff, but it's an indication that the person is overflowing with 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 joy about what just happened on that tour. And I've worked with many operators where I end up scrolling through their five star reviews and I go, good, this looks like you're good. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean I'm good? It, these are all five star reviews. I go, fine, fine. But there's a winning, and by winning, I mean you save money. The more raving fans that just start screaming off the mountaintops about you, that's money saved. That's somebody you don't have to reach through paid search or paid, you know, yeah. Facebook or whatever. Hundred percent, yeah. Direct reduction in your your marketing budget. I think that's a that was a really really concise view of here's what you need to look at, and if you're not seeing this, then you need to come through to us. And and you said you know maybe it's a, a well, I don't forget exactly what you said that a dumb, like it's a dumb thing or a simple thing. I would argue it's the most important thing like now. And we didn't think about this like, like this for years, but now the ultimate test for us is, are we getting those highly emotional reviews? Are we getting the, like you said, the cap locks reviews, the raving fans. And yeah, we settled for five star for years, but now we're saying, but is it, is it really, it, five stars not the end of it. Five stars really the beginning. If you're if you're really passionate about what you do, so that was a fantastic. Way I love of, that. Yeah, I love. Actually, I'm going to steal that. I love that. <laughs> you five steal all you want, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's excellent though, because you're right. Is it an emotional five star? And yeah. you can start to see. You can start to see that kind of performance metric in yeah. a very different way. Um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, a lot of operators, a lot of operators, ourselves included, we were getting five star reviews 10, 15 years ago, and that's great. It wasn't until maybe three years ago where we said, wait a minute, that's not the end of the conversation. Like, yeah, there, there's so much more here that we're not tapping into. And we've held ourselves accountable to raising the bar and we're, we still have a long way to go, but yeah, fantastic, Mitch. Um, <laughs> would love to continue the conversation, but we are out of time. So really appreciate you coming on. I think you've, de- de- I shouldn't say developed, well, you have developed, but you've, you've contributed some very, very um, 
unique insights. I really have enjoyed just you bringing the philosophical, musical, um, and then just all the experience you brought from tour operators. And there's so many more conversations we could have, but it's it's really refreshing to get just a perspective like that, just a perspective that's not your typical um, gone through, let's say, tourism school. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you get a lot of those those voices in the conversation. So to get, get yours has been great. Um, so on that note, where can people find Trip School? Um, and where can people find uh, you specifically if they want to follow you or Trip School and, and learn more about you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I want to be clear. All we do is talk to people and we don't talk because we have sales pitches. It makes me better at what I do. And I love just interacting with anybody. And uh, as you can tell, because we went 20 minutes over your podcast yeah. time, I like <laughs> to talk. But uh, please do check out. We have uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of free resources on tripschool.com. And there's a big contact button at the bottom of the page, at the top of the page, everywhere. If you want to send me an email and my email is mitch at thetripschool.com. So uh, send me an email, go to our website, tons of free resources. And yeah, just have a chat with me. I love hearing from like you, Eric, I think we both enjoy just kind of the story of other people and oh, yeah. what they're up to. And it's it's endlessly interesting because, you know, the car interesting is the car industry is essentially building cars around the world. But the tour and attraction and experience industry is so different everywhere you go, every place that every place that you visit is unique and that's kind of what I love about it and love about hearing from operators as they struggle in unique places uh, around the world. So I love it. Yeah. And Super. a huge thank you for having me on this. It's been great. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate your time. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll do another follow-up episode at some point in the future because you bring a, a ton of, of value to myself for sure. And, and I would imagine absolutely the listeners as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Eric. Thank you.